welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Linton. On this podcast, we often talk about sports and sports business at its highest level, which leads many of us to think about professional or even college sports. This is for good reason. Many of us follow those sports very closely, they're covered in the national media, and they generate revenue for leagues, teams, players, venues, and even the local communities where we live. However, for most of us, our love of sports didn't start this way. It started as young people at the youth level. Youth sports is not only incredibly important in the lives of young people, regardless if they go on to become athletes at any age, but is also an enormous business that plays an integral role in the overall sports ecosystem. No one understands that ecosystem better than our guest today, Justin Havler. Justin is the CEO of Youth Enrichment Brands, the parent company of I-9 Sports, and also U.S. Sports Camps, the licensed provider of Nike Sports Camps. Youth Enrichment Brands hosts 600,000 young athletes a year in its leagues, camps, and programs. Prior to his role, Justin spent nine years at USSC leading growth across different sports categories, during which the company grew from hosting 50,000 campers annually to hosting 100,000 campers in 2021. In 2018, Justin started an esports skill development company aimed at building better training habits and community in aspiring esports players. The company was acquired by Roet Capital in August of 2020. From 2008 to 2011, Justin worked as the Director of Operations at Priority Sports, a boutique sports agency in Chicago. Justin received three varsity letters in tennis and one varsity letter in basketball from Northwestern University and was a three-time member of the All-Big Ten academic team. He received his MBA from Wharton in 2017 and has been a board member of the Youth Tennis Advantage since 2017. We're so fortunate to have Justin on the show this week as he provides such incredible insight across so many facets of sports and the overall sports ecosystem. So we hope you all enjoy this interview with Justin Hoffler. Welcome to Northwestern University's Masters in Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With us today is Justin Hobbler. Justin, welcome to the program. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Go Cats. Uh, yeah, exactly. Go Cats. Well, that's where we want to start. Go tell us a little bit more about your background, uh, particularly as a Cats fit. Yeah. Um, so I, I work in sports now, obviously. Um, Sports have been a major part of my life uh, growing up, the youngest of four, seeing my older siblings um, play a bunch of sports. I played them all growing up. Uh, in fact, I think there were weekends where I would play a basketball game, a soccer game, and a tennis tournament all on the same weekend. So um, passionate about sports, huge fan of Bay Area sports, go Warriors tonight. Um and so growing up, played, played a bunch from, from there, uh, growing up in Northern California, from there, I went to Northwestern, um, where I played tennis for four years and basketball for a year under the great coaches of Paul Torricelli and Bill Carmody. Um, amazing time on, on the Evanston campus, uh, incredible memories and, uh, obviously a lifelong Cats fan from there. And then from there, I moved to, uh, on the, uh, priority sports and entertainment in Chicago. Um, probably not too far from, from where you're at today. Um, worked for a guy named Mark Bartlestein, uh, premier agent in the basketball world. 
learned a lot about that business, uh, enjoyed a lot of the relationships I made there, um, both inside and outside of the organization with representing professional NBA players, overseas players, D-League players, et cetera. Um, but ultimately kind of decided that it wasn't the path for me um, and came back to U.S. sports camps in October of 2011, uh, where I've been ever since and just love the business, love what we do um, in terms of connecting kids and coaches for athletic achievement and skill development and um, really can't imagine another place, any other place I'd, I'd rather be involved in than U.S. sports. I think we definitely want to get into U.S. sports and particularly the growth trajectory that you've been on. Um, but I wanted to start out uh, particularly on the Northwestern uh, and on the athlete side. So I, I'm a, a former Division One athlete. Just, you know, I played soccer at Northwestern. You play multiple sports. You talk about how your playing sports has impacted your career. We have a lot of students in the program and, and listeners in the audience who come from an uh, athletic background. So um, can you talk a little bit more about how playing sports has impacted your career in sports? Yeah, definitely. I think you learn playing sports early on and then at a more competitive level in college, you learn about, you know, commitment, teamwork, sacrifice, all those kind of core life skills. Um, and at Northwestern in particular, you know, I was an unranked tennis player from Northern California who had played a lot of basketball in high school, who was trying to play catch up in tennis uh, coach Torricelli took a flyer on me. Um, and I had a lot of catching up to do. So I, I worked, worked really hard to try to try to catch up to where my teammates were at. And it took longer, took longer than I wanted it. And I never reached the level at Northwestern that ultimately I desired or envisioned. Um, but became a captain voted on by my teammates. Uh, I think because they saw my work ethic, and uh, had a couple of memorable wins along the way. But, you know, especially in tennis, you really learn how to deal with failure uh, too, <laughs> you know, especially me. I failed a lot. <laughs> and it's, and you're always asking yourself, you know, do you, do you enjoy winning more? Is that what drives you? You know, the, the thrill of winning or is it the agony of defeat? And, you know, losing tennis matches is, 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 is never fun. And especially in college when your teammates rely on you. Um, but ultimately, you know, from, from those, those trials come great successes and, and great memories and, and certainly had those as well. Um, and then I think as far as kind of applying it to the career, you know, in basketball, so I played for four years tennis and I went and walked on the basketball team for a fifth year and that I think gave me credibility when I, when I moved on to priority sports where, you know, I wasn't just a fan of the game. I, I actually played the game and, um, at a, at a, at a high level, um, you know, or was at least on the team. Um, so I could speak the language and relate to our players at kind of a different level. And, and ultimately also help me just kind of network too. Uh, we would get games going at the Burroughs center at, at, in the summer. Um, and I would come and play and I was in pretty good shape then. So I could kind of compete with the, with the bulls guys and that helped with the relationships there. And, you know, those kinds of things just, just kind of work when, once you establish, you know, not only working in it, but I've, I've played it and I can, I can speak the language or, 
even if you can't like the passion for sport was always there. So even if you can't play, like being passionate about it, I think is, is helpful. And, and it, that does transition nicely to the next question. Well, first of all, I can empathize with having a lot of uh, failure in college sports is when I was on the soccer team, we won a combined total of one game in two years. So that's obviously I can empathize with that perspective, but back to the, your, your first job in sports, particularly working for Mark Barlstein, you know, who has been uh, a very well-known agent in, in, in his, uh, the company has been, it was, it's been a well-known company in the space. You talk about what it was like, again, moving from potentially being an athlete to now working in the industry. What did you learn about the industry and how did you decide that being an agent wasn't necessarily the path you wanted to go down? I learned a lot about client service from Mark Barlstein. Um, I think he sets the bar, uh, there. Um, you know, one thing in particular that I'll never forget that I learned from him was when you're, when you have clients who's who have put their career in your hand, <laughs> it's an incredible responsibility. And there's a lot of similar responsibility that we feel every day here at US Sports and you know, protecting our campers who whose you know parents put put their child in our hands to protect on the weeks or multiple weeks that they come to camps. But um, you know, that was a commitment that I know Mark and, and Mike McCartney, uh the football agent there took. And, and do take very, very seriously. And when it comes to news on their career, you know, Mark would always say, Hey, even when you don't have an update uh, for a player, if they're waiting to hear back from the team on their next opportunity, you come back to them and you tell them, Hey, I haven't heard back, but you know, I obviously haven't forgotten about this. And, and uh, I think that was a really kind of subtle point, but really impactful to how he's built really unique relationships in that space. Um, also in that space, it's all about credibility. And, and doing what you say and, and, and saying what you do. And, and he's, and he's done that as, as well as anybody. I mean, I think agents in general have a, have a mixed reputation um, amongst all kind of the stakeholders and, and uh, he's built a great reputation because I think he has been credible and, uh, and trustworthy, um, you know, to the fullest extent that you can in that, in that space. It's, it's not always the easiest, but um so, you know, just credibility and, and client service are so keys to that business. And um, again, he, he was a great role model there. And how did you decide that you didn't want to move forward? Yeah, sorry. So I think from there, I, it, it's a lot of 24-7 involvement and accessibility that you have to have in that business. Um, Priority Sports is based in Chicago. There's... 10 clients on any night playing a West coast game, which ends at 12 o'clock central time. And that player who doesn't get minutes is going to be upset and they're going to call their agent at whatever time it is. And um, so that, that was a component, but it was also more of just the opportunity that I saw at us sports camps, which, um, you know, has, was a family business, uh, essentially up until a couple of years ago, which we'll, we might get into, but, uh, just always loved what us sports camps was about, which is connecting coaches and, and young athletes for athletic development at its core. And, you know, when I sat back and thought about just professional satisfaction and enrichment, um, I think you can have an amazing impact in the sports representation space, especially for the, tier two or tier three players who are grinding out a living 
um, on something that they're totally passionate about, whether that's, you know, signing a, a, a minimum deal with an NBA team or sticking it out in the D league or going and playing overseas and making a great career out of it. You can really help them build a, build their livelihood, um, which I think is really satisfying and, and priority sports has done an amazing job at that. But ultimately there's the other side of it, which is, you know, you're, you're making millionaires richer and it's, I maybe tried to, to, to knock that, but um, ultimately I, I just, I, I just felt a greater connection to kind of starting earlier in the youth development world um, in sports. And, and so that was really what drove me to kind of leave that space after four or five years and, and come back to California where I am today and, and come back to us sports. And we are definitely going to talk about U.S. sports and the family business. We're going to do that right now. So can you tell us more about U- U- U.S. sports and give a, a background for our, our listeners? Yeah, U.S. sports was started 47 years ago by my father. Um, he took over a failing kind of investment that his, his boss had uh, in a tennis camp in Tahoe, actually. And um, he got in there. He was, he was working for an a Adidas distributorship. Um, in San Jose, California in the seventies. And his boss was an investor in a tennis camp and his, his boss was not getting the return that he, he was seeking on his, on his camp. And he said, Hey, Charlie, my dad had been a Ivy league, all, all, all American. I think Ivy league tennis player. Um, he said, Hey, you're a tennis player. Like I'm invested in this business. Can you, can you figure this out? What, what's going wrong here? And, uh, my dad got involved and he looked at the model and made a couple tweaks and the camp became more profitable. And I think that was the start of, wow, this is, this is really interesting. I think there's some scale here um, where you kind of align the incentives between the coaching staff and the back office, which is what, what we provide um, at U.S. sports camps. And from there, he, he, uh, he kind of moonlighted in it for about 10 years um, and then ultimately committed to it with four young kids, no financial backing. Um, and, but just said, Hey, I, I, this thing will only be successful if I really commit to it. And so 10 years later, 10 years later is a long time to do two things, but 10 years later, he, uh, in the mid eighties, he committed to it full time. And, uh, here we are today. Yeah. You mentioned, well, I'm curious to hear more about your dad and kind of like, yeah. you know, what you potentially learned from him, particularly given his entrepreneurial background, but can you provide a little more background in time when you say the back office and how that works with incentivizing coaches? Can you just provide a little bit more about the business model of these, uh, of U.S. sports? Yeah. So the model is that we, we really help coaches be successful entrepreneurs in, in their camp business. So what we do here is we provide marketing registration customer service, um, and camp product. And then we partner with coaches who operate the camps, who hire their staffs primarily, um, work out deals with facilities. Sometimes we help with those, uh, and, and, and pretty much let them do what they do really well, which is running an amazing sports experience, sports development experience for aspiring players, whether that's basketball, tennis, soccer, golf, field hockey, you name it. Um, and at U.S. Sports, we have a team of, of about 
50 or so employees here who, who work on camps year round. Everybody always says, Hey, what do you do in the off season? What do you do exactly. in the school year? And it's like, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to <laughs> set camps exactly. up and, um, you know, market camps. And our, our goal is for our coaches to, um, essentially make more money with us than they would do on their own and, and us to take a lot of the work off their plate. And, we've had this longevity in this, in this growth, because I think we've achieved that goal. Um, we've had some directors who have been with us for 40 plus years. We've been at Stanford university for 30 plus years and, uh, Williams college for 40 years. So there's, there's some really long standing relationships, which I think speak to kind of the value that we provide and, and, and also just the importance and relevance of, of camps and, uh, the youth development experience. And how, how would you say from when your dad was working on started to where you are now, how did you, you know, characterize the evolution of the business? Yeah. So it started in tennis um, through the seventies and eighties. And then we gradually started adding more sports. And I think his first CPA said, Hey, Charlie, you got to stop adding camps. I don't have enough columns in my spreadsheet. To, to, to account for all the camps. Um, so it's, it's obviously evolved and, uh, you know, that's, that's been, you know, just recognizing kind of the service that we bring, um, and the, and the continued need that continues to this day for college coaches and individual skill instructors to that need back end support. It's really helped us scale. Um, in addition, there's been a monumental partnership with Nike and, that started in the in the mid '90s and has progressed to this day, and the relationship continues to get better and better as they kind of see the opportunity to touch campers, you know, earlier in their develop or young athletes earlier in their development experience, you know, through the camps that we provide. Um, they've been just an incredible partner, and uh, you know, frankly, really, really looking forward to what we'll do together over the, you know, the next many years um, as they can continue to kind of shift focus towards kids. Um, you know, N Nike is now set up with men's, women's and kids, and that's a relatively new development, but highlights illustrates their, uh, their emphasis on, on kind of, um, you know, the importance of, of, uh, of reaching kids earlier. And there's a glowing article that came out in the New York times. I don't know if you saw it about Nike culture uh, yesterday you know, Nike's been the punching bag for whatever, for a couple of years based on whoever's agenda it is. But it was really nice to see Nike recognized for all the, the great kind of cultural, um, you know, nuance or, or just, uh, just culture it's brought to sports and vice versa. Yeah, that was one of the questions we wanted to talk about is, is the Nike partnership and even how that's evolved as the camp has evolved and now as, as potentially like content consumption of potentially material that you guys have from camp has evolved. So I, I don't know if you wanted to, con if you can content, uh, comment any more about the Nike relationship um, and particularly how, how you have been able to maintain that relationship with Nike over time to grow it in the ways that you've described. Yeah, so we... Uh you know, we, we, we value the relationship and it's such a, such a core part of, of us sports. Um, 
And it's been such a great partnership where, you know, values delivered both ways. So I think that's, that's at the core of any great partnership. Um, but we continue to expand as, as they evolve what they're doing too. So uh, NWSL, for example, uh, we did an event with uh, Gotham FC on Monday. Uh, we had 166 girls show up, wow. young players show up in, uh, in, New, in our, at our location in New Jersey. And, um, you know, those are just the types of activations that are, are pretty cool for us because it's what we do. We bring coaches or we bring um, process and organization to, to, to youth sports and, and events. And, and obviously Nike has such a strong footprint across all the leagues, but especially in women's sports, which is growing um, in all the best ways. We're really excited about kind of those opportunities going forward. We're going to do a pop-up event in uh, LA in a couple of weeks at the Nike headquarters there for um, kind of underserved uh, young athletes to come and, and play soccer uh, at campus. And so there's just a lot of kind of cool things that we're starting to get into and expand um, together with Nike on Whereas in the past, it's just generally been, you know, a, a, a sponsorship of, of, of our camps. It's now expanding to, you know, um, you know, greater reach and, and kind of greater diversity of events and, and audiences. And can you, that's great. And those types of events are great. And, you know, again, I think this uh, does showcase the continued evolution of, uh, of the company you're working for. Um, one of the other things, you know, you and I talked about, it, you have obviously a focused feature is potentially other growth and external growth, particularly through youth enrichment brands. So can you talk about more about that and what that process has been like in terms of growing youth enrichment brands while you're, while as a part of your work with the, or in concert with your work at uh, U.S. Uh, sports games? Sure. Yeah. Youth enrichment brands uh, was born a couple of years ago in partnership with, uh, our capital partners out of Atlanta, Aurora Capital, um, U.S. Sports was the first investment and kind of the first um, pillar of, 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 of YEB, which is what we call it. Um, I won't say Yeb, although I guess I just did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, but y, YEB really came to life with um, the addition of I-9 Sports in October of 21. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with I-9 Sports, it's an incredible organization out of Tampa, Florida, run by Brian Sanders and his team, um, which operates franchise leagues in um, kind of four core sports, t-ball, basketball, soccer, flag football throughout the country. Um, I-9 Sports hosts about 600,000 young athletes a year. And uh, really a, a great compliment to U.S. sports camps under youth enrichment brands um, in terms of market leaders and leagues and camps and shared vision, shared value on the importance of youth sports. Um, and really excited about connecting more dots between the two orgs as we move forward. Um, there's now a third pillar here, um, streamline brands uh, as well, which um, uh, is now part of, of youth enrichment brands and has an incredible team out of Denver, Colorado, uh, as well, run by Matt Lane. Um, and 
they provide learn to swim and competitive swim classes uh, for people of all ages, really. Um, and essential life skill that, uh, you know, complements I-9 sports particularly well. Um, and just really, really fun to kind of connect the dots again with uh, industry leaders, uh, vertical leaders, and, and share ideas on, you know, how to run the business and where the overlap is and, and where, where, uh, you know, one vertical can, can impact the other in positive ways. And so, um, you know, it's a really fun time for, for us in the space, you know, youth sports is, is, is growing. Um, and you know, maybe we transition to the pandemic, but, uh, it's a, uh, it's fun to be in a place where we provide such essential life skills um, and development skills. And, you know, even as we stare down the barrel of whatever this economy holds <laughs> for us over the next six, 12 months, whatever, um, you know, we're excited about continuing to improve our offerings and, and be here as an outlet for, um, for parents and kids as, you know, potentially some tough economic, economic times might, might start taking place. Yeah, I definitely want to transition to kind of the impact of the pandemic on the business. Before we do that, um, you know, uh, acquiring business, working with outside capital, that's not necessarily something that was um, maybe not something people would think of as somebody who's, uh, you know, operator, owner, operator of a large U.S. sports camp. Can you talk about what that process was like? We've had um, in our class, we talk about um, uh, asset valuation, outside capital and financing. We've also had uh, people like George Pine and Keith Bank and Chuck baker who have touched you know the financing side but can you just talk a little bit about it for our students like what is it like to be in the position to work with outside capital and pursue these types of acquisitions yeah so we we were we were family business like i said like like we said forever um no outside capital when my father started the business uh 2020 changed a lot of things for a lot of people and uh we were at a place in time where uh we used March 12th. I'll never forget the day. I think it was yeah. March 12th. One of those days. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, Oh, like, this is real. This is, this is now. And we probably can't run our business this year. <laughs> yeah. And so our business is we, we invest a ton of resources throughout the year to, to, to fill our camps and, register campers and market our camps and um, obviously support our team um, year round. And in March, uh, we came to the conclusion, you know, over, you know, the next week or so that we were going to have to shut down the business, you know, in hindsight, we're like, Oh, maybe we didn't need to do that. But at the time, nobody knew, right. Right. Nobody knew what group gatherings would look like. Nobody knew about masks. Nobody knew what, what the implications were for contracting COVID. Um, so, uh, so at that point, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of options really. I mean, there was a couple of different financing options. There was, you know, there was a world where we, we might've had enough cash to, to, to make it through, but that was, there was, it wasn't, it wasn't a great option. Um, there were a lot of hard decisions that would probably have been part of that, that we didn't want to make with our team. We, we love our team, valued our team, tried to try to keep our team together as much as possible. Um, there are some bridge opportunities for sure. Uh, and then, then there was Roar Capital who 
had conviction in kind of who we were and what we did, um, what we do. And, you know, they, like they did in other parts of their business, they were zigging when everybody else was zagging. And um, they, again, they had done their work. They were optimistic, optimistic, optimistic about the future, even though there was no real clarity at the time. Um, and just really stepped up to to present us with with an opportunity to continue on the business, grow the business. Um, frankly, cash out some longtime shareholders dating back to the '70s who, wow. frankly, you know, valued a liquidity event. And yeah. um, so now, about two years later, going through this process, it's been an amazing. They've been an amazing partner for us, and I think kind of like an agent. <laughs> You know, it's about credibility. Yeah. It's about doing what you say you'll do, especially when you consider outside financing, because, yep. you know, you know, this as the outside financing can, can be really attractive and there can be just like sticker shock in a great way or whatever. Um, but it's, it's way beyond that, right? It's, 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 it's having conviction and kind of the investment from the, from the outside financing side that like, it's going to move shareholders to to be interested in the deal, and then and then you get to know the team during the deal process, and you make commitments to each other, and it's a partnership. It really is a partnership. And if one side reneges on those commitments you make, it just doesn't work very well. And luckily, I feel fortunate. I haven't had that experience with work. They've been incredible, but I could see where. You know, you, you say one thing and, and then you do another and and, uh, and it doesn't work as well. So, um, but it, you know, it changes, it changes the dynamic for sure. Um, but for us, it's allowed us to, to really keep the team together uh, in the summer of 20, hit the ground running on, on the next year's business, um, even though it was still really, really unclear what camps were going to look like last summer until about April. Um, and then they provided growth capital for us to, to start building kind of this larger connected vision with, uh, with youth enrichment brands. Yeah. I mean, to your point, I, I do know what it's like to raise outside capital. It's definitely, um, there are definitely some challenges in doing that. And I think you've articulated those well in terms of finding the right people and the right partners, but I did want to get back to the uh, pandemic piece. You know, obviously you, you, mentioned just how potentially dire and an existential threat COVID was now that we, you know, seem to be moving at least in, in a direction to, you know, potentially not, maybe not fully to the other side, but to, to an opportunity where we can live, where we can work and operate in a COVID environment. What have you learned in the kind of, how has COVID kind of potentially impacted at your thinking in a more medium term or longer term vision? And what are some of the things and trends that you would like to continue based on some of the things you learned about how COVID impacted your business? Yeah, I think there's external impacts and there's internal impacts. We learned a little, internally, I'll just start there real quick. We learned a lot about our team um, yeah. when we had to go through that process in 20. We had to, we had to cancel camp on 30,000 campers. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we, we experienced all range of, of reaction from, from parents who were obviously disappointed. They understood some didn't understand, most understood, most worked with us, most, some kept their money with us as a credit to UPUs in the next year. Um, 
which which was helpful um <clears throat> externally so you know i just from there i learned that we have an awesome team here that's committed to the mission and and frankly it's been a it's been a tough couple of years as i as i kind of transitioned into 21 where we didn't have a whole lot of clarity throughout the year and then it was just such a different operating environment last spring where you know different policies everywhere across the country like every facility had a different policy on what vax requirements were and what mass requirements were and 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 so like just navigating through that at a, with a company that's really built for um you know we've, we've always made our name in, in customer service we always will but like as we've gotten better with our systems and process like it's been a little bit less touch than it was obviously in the 90s early 2000s when you're taking like registrations by hand via fax but this was a really really intense kind of customer facing period for us and um so our team team just did amazingly well it's, it's been challenging but continuing to rise and i think we've we, we've seen a return of eSports because of the value that obviously it, it creates and, 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 you know, what it delivers for parents who whose kids have been in front of screens for, you know, <laughs> virtual school and just so desperate for a return of normalcy and, and realize the, the value and benefit that, that, you know, that we all, that we all know about sports, which is connection, which is people, which is, um, which is competition, which is, you know, um, just all the virtues. Uh, so, you know, the pandemic smacked youth sports on its butt, especially in our model uh, and what we do. But, you know, there's been a, a strong return and I think uh, a whole new appreciation for what we all get to do um, uh, in youth sports. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, really great. And again, it's really great to see how your team has come out of this and how you've, how you as a company have come out of this. Um, follow-up question, though, is, are you see anything, like, in terms of how you engage with your customers, how you engage with parents, how you engage with kids, uh, how do you connect? Is there anything that you would say, like, in terms of innovation, maybe from uh, your business model that came out, of, either came out of COVID or something that you're thinking it could be really interesting coming out of the past few years? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I think parents have, I think the general sports trends are that they realize that there's, there's great opportunities for competitive development more local than maybe what we realized earlier. Mm. I think some of the travel stuff has just gotten completely out of hand. Yeah. And um, I think parents have recognized that like what we value here is just our, our kids being out there and playing with other kids yeah. and developing relationships and friendships and, and navigating life's challenges on the play, on the playing field. And we don't need to go spend our entire, you know, discretionary income and or time chasing quote, better competition or, you know, visibility. Like, I think they've realized that the neighborhood can provide that in a lot of ways. And if the local one can't, you know, the one down the, the neighboring neighborhood can. But um, I, I've seen those kind of anecdotes in, in, in a few places. And and for us, you know, I U.S. sports camps, I-9 sports, massive believers in sampling. 
Mm. And the value of sampling and trying just different things and, and seeing what you like, where, where what you're good at. And, you know, uh, I don't want to go on kind of the old man on the porch rant here, <laughs> but you know, some of the specialization that's occurred at such an early age, just like I, I've never understood it. Um, and I think David Epstein wrote the book range, which I think is just an awesome, awesome documentary or, or just, you know, a, a breakdown of, of, you know, the nuance to like learning evil learning environments and kind learning environments. And, but the general takeaway is like, how do you make a decision when you don't, when you don't know what you're solving for? Or like, you know, how do you put one person in your kid in a sport that like, yeah, it's such an early age without understanding who they are or what they like or who they, you know, exactly. Oh yeah. Well, I was just saying, take I, on that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually have unsurprisingly to probably people listening to the podcast, I have written an article about range specifically having read the book and, you know, I agree with you. The main takeaway from range is that, um, and, and also the sports gene, which is Dave since book before yeah. that was like, uh, there's a, the 10,000 hour rule is a little bit is, has not been described correctly. Essentially it's people practice at something because they are good at it. They don't necessarily, you definitely become better from practice, but like LeBron James is always going to be better at basketball and can probably practice for less than 10,000 hours. And you practice at something that you're good at and you like, and you're more likely to put in dedicated practice. It is impossible for parents to proactively determine exactly which sport a kid is going to like the best. Um, so I think it was in Norway was the case study where Norway became the beach volleyball world champion. And because they, and there's a, a episode on real sports about this, where the idea of letting kids, particularly basically until they're 12 or 13, like exactly what you're doing, sample, experiment, try to figure out what they're good at is a much more effective and, and efficient way actually to, um, to, to, to create top athletes. And that's the way that Norway has been successful is that they were able to let people filter themselves out and kind of let kids experiment with what they wanted to do. And from that, they could find out what they're good at. And once you find out what you're good at and what you like, you're much more likely to practice and become better at a sport. So that's, so yes, I do obviously have a point of view. I, I think that is definitely the way to go. So I'm sympathetic to your point on that. Yeah, that Australia, I think, is really good at that and testing their athletes to determine kind of aptitude. And then, you know, one is determining aptitude. The second is determining, like, passion for it, right? And those yeah, are those exactly. very different things. I love the the the, the Epstein example of the the uh, high jumpers. Yep, exactly. Too, right? You know, with the Achilles heel and the, the springiness in the heel or, or that tendon. Um, yep. So I, I just... I, I, I've seen those anecdotes coming out of the pandemic and maybe it's my hope as well. <laughs> there's, there's definitely some hope for that too. Yeah. I think as more of this research becomes more available, I think, right. I think kind of like you, you're growing up. I think as more of us become parents who played a lot, even though played a lot of sports before this kind of era of specialization, I think seen a lot of benefit of that. So hopefully that I think I agree with you. Hopefully there's more of that to come. Yeah. Um, in terms of moving more towards a range model also because it is more effective, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, if parents want their, their children to be successful and the range model is proven to be more successful, then I think it'll move in that direction also. Um, even, even, sorry, I mean, not to, go ahead. even like Steph Curry, you exactly. know, who I, I read his, his book to my two and a half year old daughter now, uh, and I, and she calls it soccer ball, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> 
you know, he played football growing up. He played all the sports growing up yeah. and then said, you know what? I really like basketball. And exactly. Like, but like, he actually would have been good at anything. Right. I think his hand eye is just so insane that he would have been good exactly. at anything, but like, so he took aptitude and then applied it to passion and exactly. And here's number four tonight, hopefully. Yeah. Well, yeah. no comment on which team we support you, but the, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, obviously Steph is a very good golfer too. Like, right. He's a, he's competed in uh pro events and yeah. I think it's because he has good hand eye coordination, but some of it is like the only part I disagree with you is some of it aptitude can translate into passion, right? If you're good at something, you're more likely to like it because obviously you're getting successful feedback. So there can be an overlap between the two, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I fully agree with you uh, in terms of like, I mean, kids are going to know what they like the best. And if you can, create if you're able to create the environment where kids can do a lot of sampling and trying they're they're going to find the things that they like so yeah um, and yeah one part of that that reminds me of priority sports again reggie brown works for priority sports awesome guy actually nike basketball camp director yeah you know sometimes when we would evaluate players he would say nah he, he doesn't like basketball he just plays because he's tall right <laughs> you know it's so exactly. like about it to it too yeah exactly. i think we've all seen those guys in, in pickup who or, or whatever and on our teams who just play because they're tall or because they have a strong arm or something baseball, but it's like, doesn't necessarily translate to passion or even aptitude too. Yeah. It definitely is not a one-to-one correlation, but yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. Like there are definitely people who, if, if you can put right, they'll do something because they think they should do it or that's where they've been structured to do it. Actually, that is some of the sports gene is like, there are people who will self-sort into some things because their physical capabilities, like you were talking about, they're springing, springness and Achilles or like Kenyan runners having better, being better able to process oxygen, particularly at, at high stress levels. Like that's one of the reasons they're successful. So anyway, obviously yeah. we talk about this for a while, but <laughs> uh, I think the, the we want to wrap, we get towards the end here. So we want to wrap up with two questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, first one is, you know, uh, obviously something near and dear to my heart is like, how are you thinking about, or how do you use data analytics, quantitative analysis and thinking about your business and thinking about how a to achieve success in your business and how you think about future uh, strategic decision-making. Yeah. I mean, it's data drives everything we do. Um, you know, we have, we have in a, in a nationally kind of scaled business, you need the data points to inform a lot of kind of your, your feel, uh, because you can't be everywhere. Right. And you can't see everything. And so, um, surveys are massive for us. Um, you know, and that, that's not just us sports. It's, you know, I nine sports, you know, MPS scores are massive and in, in terms of, um, understanding quality, which is, which is always really, really huge for us. Um, but data informs every, you know, big decision we make, um, and more tangibly, I'll say, uh, more directly, you know, there's a, there's an awesome data analytics team at Roar Capital who's really helped us understand a little bit more about our customers. Um, Nike obviously has incredible consumer insights that, uh, we feel blessed when they share with us to, to help us help inform our business and, and some of our, our, our marketing strategies. Um, you know, as we talk about m a though, you know, data is everything in valuing businesses and understanding trends and trajectories. And, um, so, uh, I, I wish I, I should get better examples. None are like, for whatever reason, it's, it's like, how do you, how do you use error? Why do you use error? I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> at the core of everything we do. 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way to describe it, right? If it's yeah. like so essential that everything you're doing, uh, I mean, obviously different people in the sports industry that can be a different value, but like you're saying for your business in particular, it's probably, you know, it's not probably, it is really important. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and, and then the last question we ask all of our guests is, and you and I've talked about this uh, outside of the podcast, but you're, you know, you're obviously hiring folks, you're hiring people potentially like the students who are listening to this podcast. So from your perspective, um, what would you recommend, you know, what are you looking for in candidates? What, what do you think separates candidates who are looking to enter the sports industry? What would you be looking for to add to your team and how could students, you know, take, or, or what would you recommend to students while they're going through the process of trying to enter or trying to uh, progress in their careers in the sports industry? What advice would you have to somebody who's looking to hire people in terms of what stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think your audience here is going to be more advanced in the entry level, um, where I would say for entry level people just starting out, it's just check your ego at the door and do whatever it takes to get the job done and be proactive and offering your services and, you know, just having an impact in whatever it is. Um, but I think to this audience and your audience, Adam, um, obviously, you know, your point here and people are inspired by this class and, and what we're talking about here because data and analytics is becoming such a stronger part of sports in general. Uh, I think sports to me, I, I don't have, I don't have all the perspective in the world. I have some, um, but you know, sports is just starting to mirror just general business business and, you know, and, and people are attracted to sports because it's cool and passionate and um, the outcomes are great and the impact is, is significant, but you know, it, it sometimes it is, it's just widgets. And it's like, you know, like what do you do well, uh, whether that's business development, whether that's, you know, finance or marketing or strategy or, or whatever, like whatever you do well, just do that really well. And then figure out what your brand is a little bit and then how that applies to what the needs are of, of the targets or the, the companies that you want to work for. So, you know, at, at youth enrichment brands right now, we're looking to hire a, um, a VP of M&A and someone who's, you know, has some investment banking experience or just incredibly analytical, uh, really thorough, um, passionate about due diligence, <laughs> which, which is a unique quality for sure. Um, but also someone who's passionate about connecting dots and wants to be part of, you know, a big growing organization, not big and correct, but a growing organization that uh, has a really kind of cool mission. So that's that's one job, for example, that we're hiring. The other one um, is a RevOps role. And RevOps, and that we connected on it last week, it's kind of a cool new position that I, I feel is kind of nuanced and, and, and gaining steam where there's a, a technical kind of product development component to it, and then also a consumer journey and insight component to it. So, you know, if you were really good at this, it, Bain Capital or whatever, or like, you know, wherever you started um, and you want to join kind of a, a growing youth sports platform, I think that's the connection that you make is just, hey, I'm really good at this function. This is something that's needed. Here's my twist on it. Here's my brand. Let's have a good conversation. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really helpful. Um, and yeah, I, I would say exactly what you're saying is that, you know, 
sports industry is, you know, this is something we talked to students about, you know, sports industry has some unique components to it, but at the end of the day, thinking about business goals, whether it's, you were talking about with RevOps, product development, strategy, marketing, uh, customer engagement, you know, technology, technology advances, those are all things that we try to highlight in our class and obviously have been highlighted in the conversation. So Jesse, we want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for your time. Uh, this is very helpful and very valuable to the, to the students in the audience and, and appreciate you uh, joining us today. Thanks a ton, Adam. Um, love Northwestern, a uh, huge place in my heart for the cats. So uh, anybody interested, be happy to be a resource or helpful in any way I can. Uh, thanks, Jesse. And feel free, we'll, 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 we'll get your contact information and make sure it's available uh, to anybody who, who's interested. So thank you again for the Awesome. Time. Thanks, Adam.